Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And as Joel mentioned, our New Testament reading tonight comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, 
we ask by the power of your spirit that now you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, and that is to, by the power of your spirit, shine light on these words that are in your word to make them alive for us. Lord, to shine light in places in our hearts where the light needs to be shown. Lord, so in your kindness and your mercy, would you use these words in your word and the words that I prepared, Lord, to meet us with mercy and grace and to give us great hope in our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, as you all know, um, I'm a pastor. And in pastoral work is the work of working with people. And because pastoral work is the work of working with people, when you're training for pastoral ministry or when you go to like conferences to learn more about pastoral work, there's a lot of tests and assessments they give and they want you to take. There's always a fresh one about your particular personality, right? Um, I'm going to spare you all the details of this, but um, I've taken one somewhat recently that identified me as a person who is, quote, highly intuitive, end quote. Okay? Now, if you're not... You're not versed on like personality stuff. Basically what it means is, is supposedly I'm a person pretty good at reading people, getting a vibe for, for what they're feeling and thinking, being able to see a look on their face and kind of have some thoughts about what they might be going through or thinking. It's maybe a good skill to have as a pastor, but, but I want to at least tell, tell you a couple of difficult things about it. Um, first of all, when you're good at reading people, you sometimes forget that you can read people very wrongly. <laughs> like you make terrible mistakes. Like you assume that they were meaning something when they said that, and it, you, just, you just read the situation and the people wrongly. That's another talk for another day. Um, um, here's a situation that often happens to me, and that's that when I can't quite figure a person out, people who know me and work with me will hear me use that that. That phrase, like, I just, I just can't quite read them. I can't quite figure them out. When I find myself in the can't quite figure them out place, I can become deeply unsettled by that. I can kind of freak out a little bit. It's a little uncomfortable for me to not be able to quite read them. And this is a moment when I'm going to make a turn toward the sermon, okay? Ancient peoples always felt that deep unsettledness about God or the gods. They couldn't read them. Are they angry? I can't quite tell. Are they happy? No way to know. What did they desire for me? What did they desire from me? What do they want? What will I receive from their hand? Just a deep sense of anxious stress over the gods and what are the gods like and, and, and what, I can't read them. 
Now, now it's into that place that Psalm 19 speaks. Because this is a psalm that proclaims to us that the God of Israel, the Lord of all creation, the God who is revealed as Father, Son, and Spirit in the Bible is exactly opposite of that. In fact, he's been so kind to reveal himself plainly to people. And this is a psalm, it's a poem that celebrates God's revelation and the ways in which he reveals and sort of unfolds things about himself. So we're going to talk about it one section at a time. And here's what we're going to discover. The psalmist David wants us to know that God, maybe first and foremost, has revealed himself in creation, in the natural world, the sky, the moon, the stars, the rivers, the mountains, the birds, animals, trees. He's showing us something of who he is. He's revealing himself to us. But the psalmist David is going to tell us that that's not quite good enough. It's not sufficient. So he does even better and sweeter by revealing himself to us in his word. And what we're going to discover is that 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 actually does something when he does that that unsettles us. So then finally, I want to show you that he reveals himself to us most fully in Christ. If you want to know what this sermon's about tonight, it's the main thing I want you to hear. Okay, That Jesus Christ is the fullest picture. He's the fullest revelation, revealing Okay? He's the fullest way we know who God is and what he's like. And David's poem here is going to point us that way. So let's take a look together. Psalm 19. One of the more beautiful, kind of lyrically, one of the more beautiful psalms, which is, which is really saying something. There's plenty of beautiful ones. Psalm 19, C.S. Lewis said, is the best, the most beautiful So let's take a look at it together. First of all, God reveals himself to us in creation. The first six verses here show us that. Um, Verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day by day pours out speech and night by night reveals knowledge. The psalmist begins, David the psalmist begins by telling us that God is constantly in a nonstop way, always showing us the beauty and glory of who he is. He's never stopping. And he, and he, and he talks about the fact that the heavens themselves, that, the, that when you hear the heavens, think the, think the night sky with all its stars. You know, it's, it's the sky and its celestial bodies. That those things that God made are constantly proclaiming, they're declaring, they are, we'd even say, preaching something of God's glory. Now, God's glory in the Bible has to do with God's weightiness, his significance. The word in Hebrew literally means heavy. Y'all have heard me explain this before, but when you pick up something that's valuable, like like a good product... You judge it based on how heavy it is, don't you? Seriously, there was a version of the iPhone that came out one time, and the biggest complaint was it's too light. 
It's got to be cheap. See, and God is not light. He's weighty. And the skies are constantly declaring and shouting, he's weighty. He's significant. He's glorious. And they do this all the time. They're never not doing it. Now you might say, but they don't say anything. Yeah, that's what the psalmist says. Next, look at me in verse 3. There is no speech. The psalmist David is saying, yeah, I, I know they're not literally talking. <laughs> Nor are their words. Their voices aren't quite heard with your ears. But trust me, verse 4, their voice is going out through all the earth and their words even to the end of the world. The word literally here for the voice goes out through all the earth is their line goes out. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, scholars believe it would be a musical term. Imagine if I were to sing a beautiful note and the note just continues to travel to every end of the earth. I don't, I don't sing very well, so I'm not going to try that. But the stars are singing God's praises and it just travels. It travels to everywhere and to all places. Okay, David, we're with you. The skies are proclaiming and singing of your glory. Yeah, they're not literally saying words, but they're, they're preaching and proclaiming and declaring even louder than that. Okay, David, we're with you. Can you give us an example? And the psalmist David gives us the sun as an example of this. And what I'm about to say about the sun right here is something I'm very excited to say. Okay. The end of verse 4. In them, in the skies, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. The psalmist is saying every day the sun rises, and it rises very eager. It's eager to rise. It runs its course. In verse 6, its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. David is going to give us, give us the, the sun as an example of how God does this. And, and I want you to notice something really, really, really important. This is so deeply important. In the Bible, the doctrine of creation, the idea that God made the world and everything in it, is actually meant to be primarily a present tense thing. Hear me here. It's not that God made the world somewhere back there and then it just continues to do its thing. It's that God makes the world again and again and again and again. He told the sun this morning to rise and it did. In a couple hours, he will tell it to set and it will. When you just breathed a breath, he gave that oxygen the ability to nourish you just right then in that moment. When you eat a bite of food, it would have, John Calvin writes about this, it would have no power, no power to nourish you, except that God asked it to in that moment. The reformers would say that a baby, when it goes to nurse at its mother's breast, would not actually be satisfied, except at that moment, God asked the milk to do milk things for the baby. 
Let me try to work it a different way. For everything to cease to be, ready? God would not have to do anything. Instead, he would have to stop doing everything. I get chills down my spine when I say that. The Rocky Mountains at this moment are being beautiful because God wants them to do that right now. All of creation responds to what God desires. But somehow, that isn't the fullness of revelation. See, in other words, the sky preaching is only enough to say something like, God says, I'm here and I'm powerful. Paul will pick up on this idea and say, it's only enough for everybody everywhere to have no excuse when it comes to responding to him. But that's about all it can do. This is why some of the most physically beautiful places in the world often are, in, are situated in places where there are the least amount of Christians. It's, it's not enough. So God has desires to reveal himself even more. And he does it, verse 7, through his word. Take a look. You got to catch the kindness of God in this, okay? Yeah, we see the sky, we see the stars. All we know is you're here and powerful. That doesn't help us. Can you tell us more about it, about yourself? We need to be able to read you. What's your intentions here? So he gives his word, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. Literally, it makes you alive again. God's word revives you. Think resuscitation. It breathes new life of the power of God's spirit to make you alive again. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. Simple in the Bible are someone who just doesn't know. You don't know what to do. But God's word makes you wise if you're in that place. The precepts of the Lord are right. It rejoices the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It opens our eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. David, the psalmist, is essentially saying to us, he's saying to us, God's word has an ability to transform a person. Each of these things, the law, the testimony, the precepts, the command, um, the rules, these are all just synonyms for God's word, how he reveals himself to us in his word. They have the power to transform, to make alive. The psalmist wants us to associate God's word with all the most beautiful things we can think of and all of the deepest longings of our heart. God's word is intended to, to, to show us those things, give to us those things. D David is essentially saying in, in these lines that if you will surrender and submit yourself to God's word, you'll never regret that. See, obedience, I heard someone say this just this morning, obedience is the pathway to more of God, which is what you really want. That's the thing you want most. Little side note, I'm not sure what you think you want the most, but you want the Lord more than you want anything. He's the thing you want underneath all the things. And he gives himself to us, yes, in creation, but specifically in his word. 
Not only does he want us to associate with all the things we long for the most deeply, verse 10, he wants us to associate the word with all the things that delight us. That's what the sweetness talk. More to be desired, verse 10, are they than gold, even much fine gold. Like you would rather have God's word than a lot of money in your bank account. I know that's hard to believe, but Psalm 19 is saying you want that most. And it's better. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings from the honeycomb. I told you guys one time, and I'll, I'll repeat it. Um, my daughter Millie was eating this, this sweet dessert, and it, there was chocolate all over her. Her hands were so sticky. And when little kids have sticky hands, then they touch things like fuzzy stuff now sticks to the stick. Those grubby little hands, it's just, I have a hard time handling it. <laughs> So I grab a cloth, and I'm like, here, sweetheart, give me your hands. And she said, not yet, daddy. And she just proceeds to lick every little piece. That's the picture. That when it comes to God's word, we want to just, just every bit of it, we just want to taste it. We want to eat it up. We don't want to miss a piece of it. It's a vivid picture. But even then, it's not quite enough, is it? And I'll tell you why. Because when we hear of God's word, when we hear of its perfection, of its certainty, of its wisdom, of its righteousness, of its purity, of its the fact that it's clean and that it's true and that it's sweet, when we hear those things, there is something that instinctively happens to the human person. You feel exposed because you know you are not those things. And see, that's where the psalmist goes next, right? We talk about creation... We talk about God's word, and the psalmist immediately goes to discussion in this poem about sin. Look at verse 12. Who can discern his errors? It's a, it's a rhetorical question. What person in the room can understand the depths of the error inside of them? The, it's a rhetorical question, meaning the obvious answer is nobody can search all that out. Declare me from innocent Declare me, from, declare me innocent from hidden faults. The psalmist is very quickly feeling exposed in this moment. And, and he, he really quickly wants just total and utter cleansing. Isn't this the way that it works, right? Like, like for example, does it not work exactly like this? The law of the Lord is perfect. The second you hear that, you think, I'm not perfect, The testimony of the Lord is sure and certain. Gosh, I'm so flaky and inconsistent. The precepts of the Lord are right, but I find myself always pursuing what's wrong. The commandment of the Lord is pure, the, the, the impurity inside of our souls. The fears of the Lord is clean. We know our dirtiness. The rules of the Lord are true. We know the lies we live 
They're sweeter than honey, but don't we seek satisfaction in all sorts of things that are lesser? Do you, do you see how it makes you feel exposed? Verse 13, keep your servant also back from presumptuous sins. So he talks about the hidden sins and he talks about the presumptuous sins. Hidden sins, according to this text and how the Bible unfolds the idea, are things you do wrong and you don't even know you did it. Y'all, I found out about this kind of stuff all the time. That there's something I said and I wasn't careful with my words and I learned they later hurt a person. I didn't mean to. But the Bible still calls that sin. In fact, in fact, there's a certain set of offerings for, for, for the sins that you didn't even know about in the, in, the, in the law. This is why when we confess sin together, we say, Lord, there are things that we've done and there's things we've left undone. It's our way of accounting for all the things that we didn't even know. Presumptuous sins are these sins you just clearly, you just clearly know and you clearly act. Let them not have dominion over me, David cries out. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. There's the hidden things we do wrong. There's the things we do wrong on purpose. And our tendency in all of these things, when, when they're revealed to us, is to do one of two things. Number one, to hide. Or number two, to begin to justify ourselves. David gives us the direction we need, which is to ask the Lord for his covering, for his cleansing, for him to make him alive and to be strengthened. He wants to be strengthened. Which leads us, of course, to the final, final phase of Revelation. See, God is preaching and proclaiming of his greatness in the skies. He's showing us even more of himself in his word. And then finally, he shows us who he is most exactly, especially in light of our sinfulness, in the person and in the work of Jesus. It is a deep, deep human instinct to want to know what is God like. And the Bible will answer that really clearly, and it's the most precious news. It is all your hope this afternoon. God is exactly, exactly, exactly like Jesus. The writer of the Hebrews, and you heard Jason read, it says that he is the exact imprint of God's nature. In other words, we can read him. We can be sure of his heart towards us as creatures who are weak, as sinners who are sinful. Yes, he is the judge of the world, and he brings judgment against sin. But even then, he takes the judgment of sin upon him.
himself. See, it's everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus does in his life when he comes to take on human skin to enter into our situation. In his perfect life of active obedience, as he carefully obeys God the Father, fulfilling all righteousness, it's in those places where his righteousness gets to be ours. It's in his death on the cross where he makes atonement for your sin so that you can be forgiven and free. It's in his resurrection when he is raised from the dead in order to make you alive. It's in his ascension where at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he upholds the universe even now by the word of his power. It's in the pouring out of his spirit where day by day he promises to conform us and to transform us ever more like himself all the time. It's in his return when he'll come again in order to make all things new and right. And the Bible will teach us perhaps most preciously that it's Jesus himself that is the reward. Back in verse 11, David says, in keeping In keeping God's word, there is great reward. That's absolutely true. And in clinging to his word made flesh, there is great, great reward. You'll never, you'll never regret obedience. And you'll never be unsatisfied in the end with Jesus. Stars are trying to show you. His word is trying to beg you. And in Christ, he's made it most plain. It's not an idea. It's a person. Let's pray together.